0: the rest of us we're going to continue in our study in luke's gospel that we've been embarked in in the last several months so luke chapter 16 if you'll turn there we'll start reading that verse 10 third book of the new testament if you need a bible just raise your hand we'll make sure you get a bible and read with us what the word of god declares third book of the new testament chapter 16 we've been in luke for the last several months such a wonderful study. The Lord has much for us today. We opened up the chapter last week with Jesus telling the parable of the unjust steward. And he's given his disciples this parable, but we're going to see and read in verse 14 that the religious leaders are listening in. They're, they're around Jesus. They are watching him, listening to him. Now, Remember that in chapter 14 that it was Jesus that was invited to come to the home of a ruler of the Pharisee for dinner and, and that Pharisee had other religious leaders with him. They didn't have Jesus there so they could talk with him or uh, try to learn about his ministry or to hear his heart. They had him there so they could watch him, that they might accuse him, find fault with him. And, of course, Jesus in that chapter would expose their hypocrisy and their pseudo-spirituality. Then we moved into chapter 15. You might recall that Jesus was mocked by the Pharisees and the scribes for receiving tax collectors and sinners. And as we read that chapter, we saw the heart of God concerning the loss. Jesus would tell a parable, one parable in three movements, the story of the lost sheep, the story of the lost coin, the story of the lost son, or that is the prodigal son. And there are three major words that were emphasized in chapter 15, and that is lost, and then found, and rejoicing. One that was lost, then it was found, and then there was great rejoicing. And in that chapter, Jesus saying, you religious leaders, you want to condemn and murmur and complain, And you don't want to know really what the heart of God is. You think you know, but you don't know. And you want to find fault. And you're going to know my heart, which is the heart of the Father. The Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. And then last week, moving into chapter 16, Jesus speaking to his disciples and those religious leaders are listening to him tell this parable, the unjust steward. And in this parable, he's speaking about stewardship, that there was a steward that he wasted the master's money, resources, his goods. And remember that the steward does not own the wealth. It belongs to the master. The steward is to be wise and faithful in handling and managing the master's money and what belongs to him. And the steward is to manage his money in a way that pleases the master and benefits the master. So you recall, as we traveled through this parable, that the master in verse one, he hears that the steward had wasted his goods. So he calls for an audit. We're going to balance the books, and the steward knows that he's going to get fired. And as the steward faces the reality of this this termination that's going to happen to him, he knows that he's in a tough situation. He says to himself, I can't dig because he's probably too old. Or I don't want to beg because I'm ashamed. So in verse 4, he resolved what to do. So what he does is he goes to his master's debtors. And you you owe him, as we read in verses 5 through 7. 100 measures of oil. What you do quickly is write 50 on your bill. And and you, you own 100 measures of wheat. Take your bill and write 80. And the steward ends up getting commended by the master because he had dealt shrewdly. Now, We talked about what Jesus, the point that he's making in that parable for the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And as we discussed last week, we are being reminded of the importance of being wise stewards of the things that the Lord has entrusted to us to store up our treasures in heaven. And if the sons of this world know how to work and to strive and prioritize to make money to secure their future, which in this world will eventually end. It's all going to fail. It's temporary. It's going to come to an end. How much more wise you and I are to be as we have an eternal perspective and to be good stewards and to make priority to stewardship of the kingdom of God. This parable has eternal implications because we are going to be rewarded in heaven and how we were wise and what God has given to us. And Jesus challenges all of us That how we view and prioritize eternity will determine how wise of a steward we will be in handling our resources. And not just our resources, our money, but our time, our gifts, our talents, the oracles of God. As we do it as unto the Lord, there's eternal rewards that are for us. And it is interesting in this chapter that there are two stories. In the first one, we see that it speaks of this rich man. And in the second one, it speaks of another rich man in verses 19 through 31. And as we look at it, verse 1 starts with the chapter, there was a certain rich man. Verse 19, the second story starts with, there was a certain rich man. And in this parable that the chapter starts out with, in this parable, the unjust steward, the rich man understands that how the, the present stewardship of money can be used relative to the future. The second rich man that we will look at after resurrection weekend, that he only lived for himself. He had no thought. He had no regard to the future. He lived in luxury, clothed in purple, which speaks of royalty. And there was a beggar that laid at his gate that didn't have anything that the dogs came and licked his sores. And both of them ended up dying. And we're going to read what happened. And again, we'll look at that in a couple weeks. But the reason that I'm pointing this out and mentioning it is, as we notice the two rich men, they had different perspectives. And in between, in verses 10 through 18 that we're looking at today, you have this bridge that challenges us about stewardship. One rich man thought about the future. The other does not. And after the parable of the unjust steward that we went over last time, let's read again as we read in chapter 16, verse 10, Jesus still speaking. He says that he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful, verse 12, in what is another man's, Who will give you what is your own? And no servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So Jesus challenges his disciples and, of course, us this morning, that your concept of eternity will determine how we view things today and how we will be stewards of what has been entrusted to us. You and I, as Christians, we cannot separate the material from the spiritual in the sense, and how you handle and use the things of this life is going to tell a whole lot in how you think about your eternal future. As we read these verses about unrighteous mammon, again, speaking about money, as we looked at, not only are we to be good stewards of that, but as we discussed in stewardship last week, that also the Bible talks about being a good steward of our time. Paul, as he was writing to the church at Ephesus, he said, redeem the time. Don't act foolishly, you know, walk wisely. Redeem the time for the days are evil. Are we spending a lot of time? Are we spending most of our time? Are we spending almost all of our time on worldly things and worldly pleasures? And that's a priority in our life. And listen, I think you know what what is being said here in the scriptures, what the scripture teaches you and me. I'm not saying a summer's coming and you want to go camping for the weekend that you're a bad Christian because you wanted to go camping or you took a vacation. I'm not the pastor that's going to come up to you and say, well, you can't take a vacation. The devil never takes a vacation. I'm not going to do that to you, all right? We know what Jesus is saying here, don't we? And what he is challenging us in is as the days pass in your life, what is it that you're thinking about? What are your priorities? What are you watching? What are you involved in? Does the Lord have a place and a priority in your day? When it comes to our gifts and talents, as Peter writes in his epistle in in chapter 4 of 1 Peter, are we being ministers, wise stewards, to minister to others the gifts that God has given to us to edify the body of Christ? What about the oracles of God? You have truth to give to others. And on that resurrection morning, when those women went to the tomb, they discovered the greatest discovery in all of human history, and that is the tomb is empty. And they were told, go and tell the disciples, go and tell them that Jesus is risen, that he's alive, that he's not here. The greatest news declared they were the first missionaries. And you and I, we know that news, don't we? And we want to share it with others, others that are spiritually dead, that don't have salvation. We want to give the truth of God's word. We want to invest in people in that way. So here As this bridge is between these two rich men, the parable of the unjust steward, who had a master who knew about the importance of securing the future, of being a good steward, and in a second, who only lived for himself. And the Lord is telling us as Christians, we are to understand that we are stewards and what is in your hands as it relates to time, to gifts and talents, to the oracles of God and of your resources and the things that are within your grasp. That we are to be a faithful steward of it. And last week we looked at the one who had wasted his master's good. And the steward again is to understand that what he or she is to manage belongs to the master. That he or she cares for the money, for the good of the master, for the benefit of the master, for the blessing of the master. And as we ended it last time, Jesus said that the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. Verse 8. What does that mean? There are those of the world that they're very shrewd. They know how to make money. There are those who know how to make the deal, who know how to invest. And they do that. They they close the deal, they look for the next investment. They're looking how it is that, you know, they can invest for the future which is temporary. And we as children of the light are to invest in an eternal kingdom. So that verse 9, when you fail. And always remember that everything in this life, everything that we have is going to fail. Only what you have done for Christ. Only what you have done in pleasing Christ is going to last. And everything else is going to go away. When you fail, listen, we don't know how much time that we have left. To apply these things in our lives. Because I believe that the Lord is coming back. When I see what's going on around the world. That that as I read the Bible. That it is not going to get rosier and cheerier and better. Like some people believe. I talked to somebody who called me this week. Who is very much involved in the Kingdom Now theology. Takes on different names today. But basically what it says is that. You know you have the super apostles. And you have the super prophets and they're going to go in to the churches and kind of take over and the church is going to spread and all these miracles are going to happen and eventually they'll go into the hospitals and heal everybody and then the Christians are going to take over the world and then we're going to usher in the second coming that sounds all fine and dandy but it's not biblical that's not what the Bible says is going to happen at all the Bible says that there's going to be great tribulation that's going to happen that Paul writes that in the last days there are going to be perilous times, that evil men and imposters are going to grow worse and worse. He tells Timothy that Timothy in the latter days that there are going to be those who are going to depart from the faith, given ears to doctrines of demon. They're going to be heaping up teachers for themselves, given over to fables and myths. But you need to continue in the scriptures that you have learned from childhood. listen there are some dark days ahead, not because pastor Jeff is negative because the Bible says there's, it's going to be that way. And I pray that there is revival that happens before the return of the Lord, but we can look and see that the Lord is coming soon. Maybe, maybe this month, maybe this year, I don't know, but could it be that we have a, such a short time to apply these things in our lives? And beside for us as Christians individually, We don't know if we even have tomorrow. Tomorrow isn't promised to any of us. So the Lord would desire for us to each and every day understand that what has been given to us belongs to him. And the things that we have now is temporary. And we as children of light are to invest in the eternal kingdom. So that verse 9, that when we are received Home, that will hear those words, Well done, good and faithful servant. And as we discussed last week, that we will stand before the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ. And again, to remind you that as Paul writes, that we will stand at the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema reward seat in the Greek, that we are going to be rewarded for what we have done in the body, whether good or bad. Do you understand that it's not talking about salvation? You cannot buy your salvation. You cannot work for your salvation. You cannot merit your salvation. And Christian always understand this that when Jesus cried from that cross it is finished it is finished. He did everything that needed to be done to secure our salvation. And now we are justified freely by his grace as we come in faith and saying, Jesus, you died for me. You rose again. You proved you're the son of God. And I come to you and salvation comes by faith alone. Are we clear on that? Because there are going to be those who are going to come along and they are going to say that you're saved by faith and you have to observe a certain day. You have to be baptized. You have to be confirmed. You have to you know, follow these rules, regulations. You have to be circumcised. You have to keep the dietary laws, whatever. And if anybody comes along and says that it is up to you salvation in any way that the sufficiency of the cross is not where it's at that we come and saying that you died for me you said it is finished I come in faith I believe in you Jesus and that brings me salvation as I come in faith to him but if somebody comes along and says but you have to do this then it is an offense to the cross do we understand that Because there are those who will put heavy trips on you and say you're not really a Christian because you worship on Sunday and you don't worship on Saturday, on the Sabbath. They call me and they try to argue with me about it. Or you weren't baptized. Is baptism important? Yes, it is important. Or you didn't join this church. Or you weren't confirmed in this church. It is faith alone in Him. So we understand that. But with that said, the Bible also talks about there's going to be rewards that are going to be given to us as we invest in the kingdom now. So be a good steward in what God has given to you, and there will be great reward and benefit in heaven. And we should prioritize in being the wise and faithful stewards of what God has given and entrusted to us. And he says, Jesus, if you're faithful in what is least, then you're going to be faithful in much. If you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who's going to commit to your trust, the true riches or spiritual riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's? Now, he just told the parable that the riches, the resources didn't belong to the steward. If you're not faithful in what is another man's? In other words, I believe Jesus is telling us very clearly that all that we have, our riches, money, really belongs to him. It all belongs to him. It's not, well, 10% belongs to you, Lord, and then the rest is mine. It all belongs to him. Every good gift comes from above, right? And so he's indicating to us that, so be a good manager of it, because it is his resources given to you, and if you have been faithful now, who will give you what is your own? Not only rewards given, But we're going to rule and reign with him. We're going to rule and reign with him in the millennium period. In the parable of the talent in Matthew's gospel, the first two servants were told by the master, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. You've been faithful over a few things because none of us do this perfectly, do we? That includes me. You've been faithful over a few things, I'll make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Something similar is told to, we will see in the parable of the minus in Luke chapter 19. The, the first two servants were told well done as they invested what was given to them. Because you were faithful in the very little, you will be over or have authority over ten cities, five cities. When we rule and reign with the Lord in the millennium reign, we're going to have responsibilities. We're going to rule and reign with him. So what we do now, and I just kind of consider this boot camp, you know, what we do now is going to have a whole lot to do with what we're going to do then. In verse 13, as Jesus continues, he says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve two masters. It won't work. If God is truly our master, then money will be used as a servant or a tool for the master's benefit. When mammon or money is mastered, you will despise the things of the master. If you serve money and it is your master, you will not be faithful in the things of God. And Jesus is saying, I want you to be totally devoted to me. Don't give your heart to money, to where it's your master. Let me be your master. Serve me. We have such a wonderful future, don't we? That's what Holy Week is all about, as we remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that we do indeed have a living hope. We have an eternal hope that is ours because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so Jesus, after he's speaking to his disciples, verse 14 tells us the Pharisees who were lovers of money also heard all these things, and they derided him. So Jesus tells this parable of the unjust steward to his disciples, but the Pharisees listening in, they were lovers of money, we are told, so the religious leaders derided him. It might be translated, it might be in your Bible, they snared him. It literally means to stick up your nose at They were turning up their noses at him. And when I hear about what Jesus has to say about money and how I respond in my life and in my heart, it's really going to truly tell me where I'm at with the Lord. If I listen to the words of Jesus in this parable and I deride Jesus, I scuff and I huff. And what is being said, it could mean very well that I have some Pharisee in me. They were lovers of money. They were coveting. So when Jesus gives this teaching about unrighteous mammon, and you cannot have two masters, they turn up their noses and they don't want to receive it. They deride him. And the Pharisees professed and claimed to know God and to trust God, but they would measure their spirituality by their wealth and possessions. They did not honor the Lord with what they had. One of the things in the woes that Jesus gave concerning the Pharisees in Matthew's gospel. He said, woe to you for you Pharisees and scribes for you say Corbin, Corbin, but you don't honor anyone. You don't honor the Lord with that. In other words, Corbin means dedicated to God. What they were doing is playing games. They would say, oh, this is Corbin. This is Corbin. This is Corbin. Everything in my house is Corbin. Everything that I have is Corbin is dedicated to God. And they would see themselves as so spiritual, pass themselves on as spiritual. But what they were doing is they said Corbin, so they wouldn't have to share with anything they wouldn't give to anything they wouldn't even honor their parents I don't have to take care of my parents I I can't because it's all Corbin they were playing games with that we know that when Jesus comes into Jerusalem in a triumphal entry that the next day that he would overturn the money changers tables and drive out the the sheep and, and release the doves and he rebuked The exchange of money, those who were there selling the sacrifices for Passover, he rebuked the religious leaders by saying that you have made my father's house, which is a house of prayer into a den of thieves, because the religious leaders were ripping the people off. We've gone over that. That they, they were making a killing off of selling these sacrifices at a very high rate. Exchange of money. We can't take the, the Roman coinage. We got to exchange it for temple money. And the exchange rate was at to where they were making a killing. So there was all this this. Dishonesty and all of this going on because they were just focused on getting more rich and rich. And today you have those who say they honor the Lord with their prosperity gospel, and then they live lives of luxury and like the world. Paul, when he was commending the churches of Macedonia, Northern Greece, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, that he would say in Second Corinthians, that they gave freely, they gave lovingly, they gave cheerfully, they gave out of their own poverty, they were being persecuted. And Paul wrote that the Lord loves a cheerful giver. And who is giving cheerfully and freely is the one who knows that they are investing in eternity and will be given to and trusting in the true riches of the kingdom. So the Pharisees are ticked off. They're upset, turning up their noses. Jesus addresses them, verse 15. Verse 15. He said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. You Pharisees, you're always justifying yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. And what you esteem highly, God sees as an abomination. You see, the Pharisees thought that the more money that you had, that the more righteous and godly you were, and that they had great favor with God. They're very much into their own prosperity theology. And Jesus says here in this parable, invest in an eternal kingdom, God's kingdom. And watch out that you don't love money over your master. And they turned up their noses. And Jesus then addresses them saying, you justify yourselves before men, but God sees your heart. He really knows what is going on inside of your heart. And what is important is that we are rich towards the things of God. But the Pharisees were justifying their, their coveting by saying, well, it's a mark of, of God's blessing and we're godly men because we are wealthy and the truth is God knows your heart and you only want to be esteemed among men and you don't realize that you are poor. Jesus, when he would write a letter to the church at Laodicea, they were the wealthy church it's kind of interesting that in the beginning of the letter to the church of the Laodiceans and he says you're lukewarm and because you say that I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing it's like they were saying that we have need of nothing that's why Jesus was on the outside knocking behold I stand and knock at the door if you'll let me in if you'll let me in they said we have no need the Lord, I think, in, in some churches are knocking on the door and they're saying, well, we're so wealthy, we have need of nothing. And you don't know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And again, I want to establish that the Bible doesn't say that being rich or being successful, that that's a sin. It was Abraham in the book of Genesis that was a friend of God that he was wealthy. David who hired a heart after God was wealthy. Solomon, who had the wisdom of God, was wealthy. Joseph of Arimathea, that we read, took the body of Jesus down from the cross. He was a ruler. Also, it tells us in John's Gospel, he was wealthy. But he prepared the body of Jesus for burial, put Jesus in his tomb that had never been used. And we see that they were men who were wealthy, but they were ones that prioritized the Lord. The Bible says it's the love of money is the root of all evil. That he says that coveting is a sin. Jesus said, beware of coveting. That's what was the case with these guys. And Jesus continues in verse 16 addressing them that the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. And it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle the law to fail. And whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced from her husband commits adultery. And Jesus still talking to the Pharisee. He wants to make sure that they do not misunderstand what he is saying. That which is highly esteemed as we follow the flow What Dr. Luke is writing here, that which is highly esteemed, verse 15 to men, is an abomination in the sight of God. And the Pharisees' tendency that they're thinking, well, he's talking about the law. He's talking about the law. And we're committed to keeping the law. Uh, You're calling uh, that an abomination, the law, as you know, the Pharisees were separated to do what? To keep the most minute details and regulations of the law. So they are thinking here, what Jesus is, is pointing at is not their justification of materialism, but their embracing of the law. So Jesus here is clarifying that the abomination is not the law. The law isn't passing away. Matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, don't think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill he fulfills the law. And then Paul would write in the book of Galatians that the law, because no man can be justified under the law, the law did have a purpose. And the purpose of the law was not to show that we are righteous. The purpose of the law shows that we are guilty because we all break the law. So it is to be a tutor, a schoolmaster, to point us to the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. When I look at the law, God's standard, there's nothing wrong with the standard, but I can't keep it. And that's the point that Paul makes in the book of Galatians. And we see that we need a Savior, and that's the purpose. The, The law has done its job. It drives us into an awareness that you are a sinner, that you need Jesus who kept the law who fulfilled the law and then went to the cross and died for us. That's a part of the gospel. Sometimes I I hear others say, you know, uh, that uh, come to Jesus, embrace Jesus. And that's it. Why do you need to embrace Jesus, people ask? Because you're a sinner. You're separated from God because of your sin. And we need to understand that that is part of the gospel. There is bad news, and that is we have all fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. The good news is this, that Jesus came and died for you because he loves you. He took care of the sin problem. He came and died for you, and all your sins were placed upon him. So the law as a system came to an end. We're not under the law, but the law as a standard did not. And Jesus here is saying in the context, uh, the passage here in chapter 16, in its entirety, dealing with the issue of money and eternity. And Jesus is clarifying, don't misunderstand me, you Pharisees. I'm not talking about the law. The law and the prophets were until John and the kingdom is being preached. I'm talking about your love of money, your covetousness. And just to show them that he was not trying to get rid of the law, he pulls out this controversial principle on divorce, verse 18. Kind of interesting. He says, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced from her husband commits adultery. Now, reading through this, if you follow the flow, you might be thinking, why did Luke all of a sudden write this? Did Luke put down his pen, go out and get some Starbucks, coffee and then came back and forgot where he was at. It just seems like it's not in place, but it is as we consider it. Because in Jesus' time, divorce was a very much a hot issue of controversy. You had certain rabbis that the Pharisees were following their line of teaching. You had Shama, who had a conservative teaching on divorce. Deuteronomy talked about giving a certificate of divorce to your wife. If she is unclean or because of uncleanness. He said the uncleanness obviously speaks of immorality or adultery. Then you had Hillel and others that said, no, they had more of a liberal view on divorce. They said that, for example, that if you're in public with your wife and she embarrasses you, then you could divorce her. And even when as far as saying you don't even have to give a certificate of divorce, you just say three times, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. There was also his interpretation on uncleanness. If she's making you dinner and she burns dinner and it makes you angry, then you're unclean and it's her fault so you could divorce her. You know, that's what they were discussing. That's what they were embracing. I promise I would not tell that joke. And I won't. That joke about... (laughs) (laughs) My wife is so spiritual that offers a burnt offering every night at dinner. I I promise I wouldn't tell that one. (laughs) You know, the husband could go over there and just turn the gas up and toast, you know? there's there's a uh, stay on track here. There's another rabbi that would teach that if you were even in public, and then you saw a woman that was more attractive, that you could divorce your wife and marry her. So you could see that this is controversy on divorce, and that's why they came to Jesus in Matthew chapter 19, and they said, <clears throat> Is it okay to divorce your wife for any reason? For any reason? Why did Moses then permit a certificate of divorce? And Jesus in saying this in verse 18, as he's doing this, he's he's rebuking them. This is kind of a dagger to these religious leaders because Alfred Edersheim, we've had a few of his books in the bookstore and and it's kind of, he's an Austrian-born scholar that was Jewish and converted to Christianity. One of the books that he wrote was Sketches of Jewish Social Life. And he's writing about the life of the religious leaders at this time. And he writes that some of these Pharisees had up to 30 wives. Because many of them were embracing the, the liberal Hillels and others' teachings. And what Jesus is saying is this. You're sticking up your noses at me. And you are murmuring and complaining against me. Because I'm eating with tax collectors and sinners. And you're judging me for healing on the Sabbath. And you're looking down your noses at me. When you are taking the seventh commandment. And you're just throwing it right out the window. That thou shall not commit adultery. And every time that you put away your wives because she burnt the toast or you lust it for another, you commit adultery. Are you kidding me? You lift up yourselves before men and think you're all esteemed before men. And all into your money and wealth. And you're living in a way that's an abomination before God. He says, I know your heart. And he knows our heart. He knows how it is that we live. We say we're a Christian. Are we acting like a Christian? Are we living like a Christian? Are we living the gospel? And again, none of us do that perfectly. But Jesus is saying, I have put things into your hands. Use it wisely. Because I'm going to receive you home. And I want to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And I want you to be abundantly rewarded in the kingdom. I want to give you the true riches. So serve me. And give to me. And be devoted to me and love me. Be the wise and faithful steward that knows that there's great eternal reward as you do that. And you see, not only for me do I want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, but as a pastor of this church, I desire for you, for me to hear the Lord say that to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Because everything in this world will fail. And only what we've done for Christ, that's which will last. So Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time that we've had in your word. And Lord, there's are such sobering words that Jesus gives to us. Causes us to pause and to evaluate, to be challenged in a good way. In a way, Lord, that is not condemning. But in a way where we can say today that, Lord, I want to be a good steward of what you've given to me. And I want to pray for anyone that is here that perhaps... That you've never come into the household of God. You haven't been forgiven. You've never surrendered your life to Jesus. That he is your hope. He is your hope. There's none other. Jesus alone went to the cross and died for you. He was put into a tomb and he rose again. The tomb is empty. He proved he's the son of God. He conquered sin and death. And now you're justified freely. By faith in Him. You are saved by grace, the unmerited favor of God through faith. It's not of yourselves, not of works. It's a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. Will you surrender to Jesus? He loves you. That's why He came and died for you. It was His love for you that kept Him on that cross, not the nails. His love for you. Right where you are, if you've never done it, really made a commitment to Christ, the invitation is given to you right now to pray where you're at. Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I have sinned. I confess it. And I believe you died for my sins. You rose from the grave and you're alive. And you're touching my heart and speaking to my heart. And I ask that you be the Lord and Savior of my life. I thank you for what you did in the finished work of the cross, the sufficiency of the cross. I thank you for this new beginning that I have. Help me to live for you, to serve you, and to grow in the knowledge and love of Jesus Christ all the days of my life. And if that's you that prayed, as Pastor John's up front as we conclude the service, come up and tell him what decision you made we want to bless you encourage you we want to make sure you have a Bible if you're listening on live stream give us a call at the church or on the radio later we want to bless you in that way and Father I pray for all of us that this week would be a special week of just remembering the riches that even as we sang the cross and Lord remembering the incredible work that you did providing for us I pray that we would look to you and say I want to be a wise and faithful steward of what you've given to me Lord help me because we can't do this in our own energy in our own flesh but simply being devoted to you so Lord I thank you for this time that we've had together I pray you bless everyone here as we now go our way and it's in Jesus name that we pray amen would you please stand? If you need prayer for anything, we're here to pray with you and for you here this morning. Pastor John's here to do that. Don't forget Wednesday, Israel Slides, Friday noon, Good Friday service, Saturday, 6 o'clock in the evening, and then 8, 9:30, 30, 11 o'clock on Resurrection Sunday morning. Bring somebody. Looking forward to seeing you. We will have the nursery, by the way. It's going to be family services, so the kids will be here, but we will have the nursery available for the weekend services for three years and under. God bless you as you go your way. Travis is going to close this in song.